And if we haven't met, my name is Benjur, and uh, I'm one of the pastors as well here at Flourishing Grace Church. I am glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, you know, as, as part of what I do, and, and I've, been, I've been working in churches uh, as a pastor and as a minister for um, probably about 15 years now, as part of what I do, um, I, have, I have a lot of opportunities to um, be at funerals and be the pastor, the officiant at funerals, uh, to sit around bedsides in hospital rooms and in homes where people are on home hospice, just, just honestly praying with families and, and waiting for somebody to pass away. And I've noticed something. Um, when it comes to when people are grieving, if we've got a friend who's grieving, if we've got somebody um, uh, who, who man, we, just, we just see them uh, suffering through this, um, we have a tendency to say really stupid things to people when somebody has passed away. And then listen, I say we. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. And, and, and I understand it comes from a good place and a good heart because we see somebody who is grieving. We see somebody that we want to make feel better. But if we're honest, it's not just about wanting to make somebody feel better who's grieving. It's also because we're uncomfortable with this idea of death. We're uncomfortable, and so we want to say something that makes us feel less uncomfortable. And so sometimes we say things uh, about death and, 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 and how to make somebody feel better, not because we have a conviction about what we're saying, but because we just, we just feel like we got to fill the space with something. And my wife, Jennifer, uh, had an older brother who was um, intellectually disabled, and in his 20s, he actually died a tragic death. And, and, and people just didn't know what to say, because there's, there's times when people pass away, and then, man, there's tragedies, and you're like, this is... This is senseless. Like, why did this happen? And so people were trying to figure out what to say. And one of the things that people said to Jennifer was, and I bet Jimmy is just up in the sky riding all the roller coasters he wants. And, and that was well meant from somebody, right? But when you step back and you think about it and you're like, so what I've got to look forward to is one big lagoon in the sky. And, and, and just for those of you who were born in Utah, there are bigger amusement parks around than Lagoon Amusement Park and Farm. Just, just got to tell you that. We don't say these things out of a conviction because we believe the truth. Because we honestly don't know what to say. And so as we've been walking through this series called Heaven Matters, um, and, and we've been talking about this, we started last week, and listen, if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back, um, search your favorite podcast app for Flourishing Grace Church, go online to our website, flourishinggrace.org slash listen, and, and please listen to Pastor Josh, our, our pastor for Preaching and Vision. Um, he really laid the groundwork for this series. It's a four-week series, and we are in week to, and so you want to go back and you want to catch that. And so there's a little bit more about what we're going to be talking about today and just kind of to set the groundwork. When, when we read about heaven, when we, when we search the scriptures, when we read, usually what we read in the Bible about heaven has a lot to do with the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem that one day God will establish the thing is, he hasn't done that yet, and Pastor Josh is going to be back next week and be talking about what that is. And so the question often comes up, well, what is heaven like now? And if we're honest, we may not have thought about it too much. And so we've got that bucket, of the, the future, new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. And then we've got what is, what is heaven like today? And that's what we're going to be spending most of our time on today. And listen, before we dive in, um, 
I understand that, that, that what we are going to talk about, if, if you are here and you are not a follower of Jesus, if you've not given much thought to this, maybe somebody invited you, maybe a cute girl invited you, maybe somebody promised you lunch, whatever it might be, and, and, and if you aren't on board with this whole Jesus thing, if you're skeptical, listen, I didn't come to faith until I was a young adult, and I'm one of the most skeptical people in this room, I promise you. If that's where you are, I just want to put out there, I understand that, that talking about heaven and these, these other things, you're just like, man, I don't... I don't know about any of this. And so if that's you, let me, let me just give you permission. Just take the morning off. Right? You're welcome to sit back in your seat, cross your arms, and, and, and zone out for the next 25, 30 minutes or so. But, but before you do, just consider this. I understand that a lot of what we're going to be talking about is like a window into, into heaven and, and something that seems out there and something that seems distant. But as followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus believe that the reason why any of this is possible is because Jesus, in a real physical location, at a real time in history, died and rose again from the dead. And one of the things we believe is, listen, either he did or he didn't. And if he didn't, none of what we're going to talk about matters. But if he did, then it has so much to do with everything. And it deserves your investigation. So let's get started. Um, we're going to start, and we're going to be flipping around a lot. In fact, I've got a lot of bookmarks today, so that's how you know we're going to be there. Um, we're going to start in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And um, we're going to be on page 1090. If you brought your Bible, open that up. If you don't have your Bible, there's a blue Bible underneath your seat. If you forgot it, you're welcome to use that one. If you don't have one at home, uh, listen, that Bible is yours. We want you to take it, put your name in it. We want those to walk out the door. Um, but you can open up that blue Bible to page 1090. Um, and because we believe this is the Word of God, because we have a reverence for this Word of God, would you do me a favor as, as I read, if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with them those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, we who are left until the coming of the Lord will not pre precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Now, like, if this is your thing, if you love this passage, if, if like, you've read every single one of the Left Behind series or whatever that is, I just want to warn you, we're not going to dig into this passage today. The reason why we started there is, is really Paul's first sentence. Because he's writing to this church in Thessalonica, and, and, and there seems to be some anxiety because they heard, right, this is, this, is, this is soon after Jesus died, rose again from the dead. This is one of Paul's earliest letters. And there seems to be some anxiety, some confusion. Man, I thought Jesus was going to come back one day. But some of my friends and my loved ones, uh, my family members even, um, they've died, right? Paul said they've fallen asleep. But that's not like, man, they've fallen asleep and there's some sort of thing as soul sleep. That's a euphemism for they're dead. 
They're in the ground. And their loved ones are thinking, man, did they miss it? They loved Jesus, but, but did they miss it? Jesus hasn't come back. What's going on here? And so there's this anxiety about what happens after their loved ones have died. And Paul, to answer their question, he says this. He says, I do not want you to be uninformed. Remember, we say stupid things because, honestly, we haven't thought about it. I mean, somebody dies, and we're like, man, I bet they're just fishing up there in the sky. Right? If that's your thing, great. But, man, that sounds boring to me. Last week, Pastor Josh talked about, I mean, a lot of times we think about having this this endless scene, this, this endless year after year of eternity. We think, man, that's boring. And Paul says, listen, I don't want you to be uninformed. And we probably have different questions about heaven. We probably have different questions about what happens if we're a follower of Jesus after we die. But the, the response is still the same. We should not be uninformed. My wife Jennifer and I, we are foster parents, and um, uh, we, over spring break, um, a couple of weeks ago, we planned a, a, a camping trip to Zion National Park. And we got two biological kids, and, and right now we have an awesome foster daughter, and we were excited about planning this trip, and, and my kids love camping. It's by some miracle. I don't know how they do, but they love it, and, and it's probably the s'mores, honestly, but they love going, and they love the hiking, and they love to see the beauty, and we're, so we're excited about this trip, and then we realized as we got closer, and our foster daughter was freaked out. She was, she was seven years old at the time. She just turned eight. She was freaked out about this idea of going in the middle of nowhere, apparently, and sleeping outside. She's never done it before. She's been on like one road trip her entire life, and so there's all this anxiety. So we realized that, and we said, oh, you don't know what this is going to be like. And we couldn't bring her there beforehand and then let her experience it in the full. There's no way we could do that, but we did not want her to be uninformed. And so we told her what it was like. We said, man, there's, there's, there's going to be s'mores. Like my girls were, were, were just excited about, about the s'mores and the fire, and they love hanging out with friends that they meet at the campsite, and there's this beauty, and there's this hike, and, and they said, you're going to have a great time. But you know the thing that made her the most sure, the most calm about this trip was, man, Benjamin and Jennifer, and Sammy and Bethany, they're going to be there with you. Right? In the same way, this is how we approach this idea of heaven, to be, not be uninformed, but to look at Scripture and see what there is for us to know. So that's what we're going to do a little bit today. We're going to be flipping through like five or six passages up here. I'm going to put them on the screen. If you want to flip there through there with me, you can, but you've got to be faster than me because I've got the great uh, bookmarks right here. Um, but we're going to talk about a couple of things about what we need to know about present heaven, right? There's, there's the future new heavens, new earth that God will, will bring when Jesus comes back. And we're going to talk about that next week. But what is heaven like now? Well, one of the first things we need to know about that is that heaven is a place, right? And we think, well, well of course it is, but we've never really thought much about it. Like, where is it? Heaven, heaven is actually a place. When we die, our bodies are here, so, we, so they haven't been resurrected yet, but our souls go somewhere else. Jesus, in uh, chapter four, John chapter 14, um, is, is spending his last night in freedom with his followers of Jesus before he's betrayed and, and, and dies on the cross. And he says this, chapter 14, verse 1. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. 
And he says, in my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Right? This is a place. Jesus is going somewhere. He says, man, when you're going to be there with me, when Jesus dies and ascends into heaven, it is a different place. Another place where we see this is in uh, Revelation chapter 6 when John, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, gets this glimpse into heaven. In chapter 6, verse 9, he says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, for the witness that they had borne. These are people who, because they were followers of Jesus, had been killed for being followers of Jesus. And he says, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Right? They are in the presence of Jesus. They're able to, to see what's going on. They are alert, but they're in a different place. Then again, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, um, says this about heaven. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Heaven is a place. We think, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. But what, what, what kind of place? How do we define this place? Like, is it really the lagoon amusement park in the sky? Right? That's why the second part is so important. Because heaven is not just defined by a location. Heaven is actually defined by the presence of God. And to that you might say, okay, I, Benjamin, I get that. Um, heaven is defined by the presence of God, but, but isn't God supposed to be everywhere? Isn't he omnipresent? Doesn't he belong everywhere? Isn't he even here now? Doesn't the Holy Spirit dwell inside us? Yes. But, but one way the theologians put this is that, that heaven, heaven is where God manifests and blesses the most, where he is most present. He is everywhere, but heaven is where he manifests himself the most. Heaven is defined by the presence of God. We see that in what we just read, that, that, that Jesus is in his Father's presence, but we, we see that more and more. When we go to Psalm 16, um, verse 11, David is talking about and some of the troubles he's having on earth, and then he looks forward to future eternity, and he says this. He says, in your presence, talking about God, in your presence there is fullness of joy. It's not because there's roller coasters or endless. In your presence... There is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. And then again, when we um, skip ahead to, I can get there, Philippians chapter 1, Paul is writing about some of the difficulties he's experienced and and how how difficult he's suffered for the sake of the gospel. He has suffered to tell people about Jesus. And he says this. He says, for me to live is Christ. I'm here, I'm I'm doing things, I'm, I'm... I'm doing things, I'm accomplishing things for the sake and the name of Jesus, but to die is gain. Why is that? If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two because my desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. 
Paul doesn't desire to depart because it's too hard here. He doesn't desire to depart because he says, man, I'm tired of tent making and, and, and this job I have here and going around from city to city. Man, I can't wait until, you know, I don't know what they would like. You know, they didn't have amusement parks. Man, I could go see the, you know, the, the real Olympics, the real ancient Olympics again and again and again. I don't know. No, he didn't say that. He said, I desire to depart and be with Christ. Now, here's the problem. Many of you are looking at me the same way that you looked at your middle school or high school algebra teacher. This is well good, but when am I ever going to use this? What does it matter? Which I take great offense at because I went to math camp and I loved that stuff, okay? I was a kid, don't, don't judge this, okay? But I was a kid with the flashlight underneath uh, my covers who, who was doing, working ahead in math because I was supposed to go to bed. And I was like, man, you just got to go to bed. So I had to pull out the flashlight and do math under my co- don't judge, okay? Somebody, somebody just judged right there in the front. I feel it. I feel it. You're like, Benjamin, that's well and good. You love math. That's great. You'd say the same thing about this stuff, too. Benjamin, I'm glad that you're a pastor and you get to sit around all week reading about heaven. That's well and good for you. But, Benjamin, I've got a real job, all right? I've got three kids at home. I've got endless diapers. I've got to go to school. I've got real issues. Go- what does this have to do with anything? And I get that. I get that. And so that's what we're going to be spending the bulk of the rest of our time on. Because this matters. There's three ways that we're going to see this morning about why it matters. First one is this. To desire heaven, really to desire God himself. Because if, if we have this, this idea of heaven where, where, okay, the best things on earth is, is just what heaven's going to be like. So whatever I love about earth, right, the bad stuff's going to go away, but whatever I love about earth is just going to go on endlessly and forever. If that's our idea of heaven, that sounds terrible. But really, if being, if we die when our eyes close in death and if we were followers of Jesus and we have put our hope and our trust in Jesus, and so therefore, as we talked about earlier today, we are reconciled to God himself. And of course, like Paul, we look forward to heaven, not because, man, we just get to sit around and play harp all day, but because it would be to be in the presence and the glory of God. I've got to be honest with you. This doesn't make much sense if we don't treasure Christ above all else. If Christ is not your treasure, this makes no sense at all. Of course you're not going to look forward to heaven. Because to desire heaven is really to desire God himself. So it's an honest question to ask yourself. Maybe, maybe you've never thought about heaven, and that's why you've never really desired it, and you're like, well, yeah, it doesn't sound so great. But it could be. Maybe. It could be that's because you don't treasure Christ. This isn't some form of escapism. This is about wanting to be with Jesus. Second reason why this matters is our, our present hope Our future hope, excuse me, determines our present trajectory. Our future hope determines our present trajectory. And listen, this isn't a spiritual thing. This isn't a religious thing. This is a thing thing. 
You know people who have been so focused on something one year, two years, five years in the future, and, and, and because of what they have their hope in or what they're focused on, it determines what they do in the here and the now. I'm a, a softball coach, um, and um, Sammy, my, our middle child, she's nine years old, and this is the first year for her team, coaching her team. This is her first year for kid pitch in softball. Now, I'm, I'm a terrible pitching coach when it comes to, to softball. we got a coach that helps out with that. Thankfully, Randy came and helped our team one practice. I, I'm awful at this. And this is the first year they've had to, to learn the new motion of pitching, and sometimes it doesn't go well. But, but when we teach all the mechanics, when a girl gets up there finally in a game on the rubber, you know what we tell her? We don't say, okay, remember all these 18 different things. We say, listen, just look at your catcher. Because even for a nine-year-old, generally, where they put their focus is where the ball is going to go. Our future hope determines our present trajectory. Um, C.S. Lewis was a British um, author and, and theologian. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And he says this about heaven in Mere Christianity, his book Mere Christianity. He says, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, they all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Um, I've heard it said that some followers of Jesus are so heavenly-minded that they do no earthly good. Listen, I don't, I don't think it's really true. Because if we desire to be with Christ above all else, if we treasure Christ above all else, then, then what pleases and blesses Jesus will please and bless our heart. What breaks his heart will break our hearts. If we truly desire Heaven, which is really to desire to be with God, if we truly desire Christ above all else, then we're going to desire what Jesus desires. Jesus, when, when his followers, uh, when his disciples asked him, then, then teach us how to pray. What should we do? Jesus said this. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do you know what Jesus' will on earth is if you don't treasure him above all else? Friends, listen. When we set our minds, we talked about this last week, when we set our minds on the things that are above, when our hearts truly treasure Jesus above all else, it will affect our desires. It will affect what we set our minds on here. 
This isn't some theological um, conversation that really doesn't make a lot of difference in our mind. Our future hope determines our present trajectory. And if it's true that to desire heaven is really to desire God, then if we're setting our hope on that, it will make a difference in the here and now. Last, God's glory outshines our present troubles. God's glory outshines our present troubles. Now, this is the point. Listen, if, you, if you've tuned out or you're, you're one of those, man, I'm not a follower of Jesus. This is where you would say, see, this is just a crutch. Life sucks and then you die. Am I allowed to say that in church? I don't know. It's just, it's something to placate us in the here and now because life is difficult and maybe there's a hope for the future. But it's just to make us feel better in the here and now. Listen, if that is your, but you don't understand this idea of heaven and being in the presence of God and just seeing Jesus' glory. Going back to Paul. Paul, I mean, just, a, just a character in himself. I mean, if you haven't read much about Paul, I encourage you to go back to Acts chapter 9 and 8 and 9 and, and just see Paul's transformation because Paul went from being one of the biggest opponents to this early Christianity to being one of the biggest proponents to this Jesus movement because he met Jesus face to face. Then he traveled around the world telling people about Jesus and he suffered greatly for it. And in his, uh, one of his letters to the Corinthians, he is, he's talking about the suffering. He says, you know what my motivation is? He says, first, that I know that Jesus rose again from the dead. Remember, this isn't just some pie-in-the-sky hope. This is based on a historical event that happened at a geographical location at a certain point in time, and either it happened and it didn't. And Paul said, I know Jesus rose again from the dead, and that keeps me going. He says, you know what else keeps me going? that I see so many people putting their hope and their trust in Jesus. And then he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. It'll be up here on, on the screen. He says, so, in other words, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says, and this is, this is difficult, Paul says what we are going through, and, and, and he's talking about himself, but this is meant to be an encouragement to those he is writing to who have lost much for the sake of Jesus. He says, listen, it is hard. And he doesn't answer that with, listen, today's hard, but tomorrow's going to be better. Just have a better attitude. Feel better about tomorrow. The sun will come out tomorrow. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, when we meet Jesus 
face to face, when our eyes close in death, and then if we put our hope and our trust in Jesus, if, we, if they open their eyes and we see Jesus face to face, those things today that are heavy, those things today that seem impossible to carry, they are light. The long nights, the tears, the weeks that turn into months, that turn into years, the prayers, the medical tests that we thought were going to come back negative and they showed that the cancer was back, whatever it is, those things that just drag on, they seem like they're never going to get better. We're going to look back and they are going to be momentary. Not because they don't matter. Not because they're not difficult, but when we see Jesus' glory and we stand in his presence, we will look back and we say, no, that was light and that was momentary. And what's more, it's not that just God saw those moments in our darkness and our difficulty and the abuse and the tragedies and said, man, I guess I got to work around this somehow. We will find out that God used them. And we will see them in those things that we thought were dark, the things that, there, that we thought there was no light around that when we step into the glory and the presence of Jesus, we will find that God used those things to shine a light on Jesus' glory and we will stand and we will share in that glory. None of this makes a lick of sense if we don't treasure Christ above all else. Friends, this is not a crutch. This is not, man, things are bad now, so I'm just going to look forward to the future. It is a conviction that God wastes nothing. Let me say that again. God wastes nothing. It's not just, man, one day it's going to be better. It's that we will look back and we will stand in the glory of Jesus and we say, yes, that was light and that was momentary and I will see all that God accomplished. But we don't think about heaven at all. If we don't treasure the presence of Christ in our lives. Now, this doesn't make any sense. Now, those who, who teach preaching in theological schools and write books about preaching, they'll tell you this. It's good at the end of a message to, to try to have a, like a nugget or a next step or something that, that you can give people and say, okay, just, just package this up and, and just try this this week. And I wish I had that for you, but I don't because I keep coming back to this idea where this makes sense if you treasure Christ, but it doesn't if you don't. If a couple comes to me for, for, for marriage counseling and I hear their story and I discover, man, there's, there's no infidelity. There's not really any dishonesty or any addictions. There's, there's nothing really huge going on. It's just that the husband has lost interest in the marriage and lost interest in his spouse. I've got no quick one-step thing to do. Right, bringing flowers every day for a week isn't going to take all of that away. No, I say, listen, your first step is to learn again to treasure your spouse. Listen to her. Get to know her all over again. And as you incline your heart towards her, God will continue to grow that. Guys, it is just the same as a relationship with Jesus. 
If you don't treasure Christ above all else, listen, the next step is really just to grow that relationship. Spend time with Jesus. Treasure him above all else. Reorder your life where it needs to be reordered. Stop clinging to the things that we can see in this world because they are temporary. They are temporal. Cling to the things that are unseen. And if you're one of those that that have been sitting back with your arms crossed, you can still take the morning off. But I want to encourage you again. This is not just some philosophy pie in the sky kind of idea. Either it's true or it isn't. Either Jesus' body stayed in the ground or on that first Easter Sunday he rose again from the dead. But if he did, that has everything, everything to do with our lives now and in the future. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I confess. I confess uh, just even this morning in the stress of family life and, and difficulties, there I just have my, eye, my mind and my eyes on the things that are temporary, that I can see. I look around me. I just, I just see troubles, and, and, and what do I have to do about this? And I forget to lift my gaze to heaven and look at the things that are eternal. God, would you teach me to do that? Would you teach me to treasure Christ above all else? Would you teach me to see the things, even though they are difficult, not to dismiss them, not to pretend like they're not there, but to remember that when I stand in the glory of Jesus, when my eyes close in death, they open again in the presence of Jesus. It would be light. It would be momentary. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. None of this is possible on our own power or our own works. I can't even, I can't even realign my heart without your help. Thank you for your grace, for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for my sake and all of our sake. God, I rest on that alone for that is my future hope. And may that be with all of us here, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let all the people say, amen.